Hey, thanks for joining us today. So I am going to be your moderator for this LinkedIn panel. My name is Clifton Corbin. I'm the author of Your Kids, Their Money and uh, The Richest Person in Babylon, a revised version of The Richest Man in Babylon. We're going to be talking about what LinkedIn can do. Thank you for that, Scott. We're going to be talking about what LinkedIn has done for our businesses and what it could do for your business. We love all, all the people on this panel love LinkedIn. We've all been using it, but there's the good, the bad and the ugly. And we're going to try to get into all of it today. So I am going to pass the mic over to Scott just to talk about what Scott does. I'm sure everyone here knows Scott, but let's talk about what Scott does and how he's been using LinkedIn. Thank you, sir. Yeah, so I've been on LinkedIn for quite a while. Uh, love the platform. Uh, for the last 22 years, I've been an entrepreneur, uh, primarily in real estate lending. Last 16, I've been focused in the, the distressed mortgage debt space. So I'm known to kind of across the country as the note guy for buying uh, over a billion dollars in distressed residential commercial debt. And I've used LinkedIn for a long time, actually just re uh, recently capped out my uh, connections on there at 30,000 about a month or two ago, but uh, used it to, in a variety of fashions, to connect with asset managers at banks for those internal connections that we need in my niche. We use it also to help market our you know, award-winning uh, podcast, The Note Closer Show, and uh, also use it to raise capital and get our word out to investors and connect with their real estate professionals on there. So absolutely love it. And you know, it's got... Pros and cons has come a long way from when I first started using That's it back right. about 16 years ago, but uh, it's 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 been really, really well. Excellent. Okay, so we're going to go over to Wendy. Wendy, can you tell us what you do and how you've been using LinkedIn to help your platform? Yeah. So, hey, everyone. I'm Wendy Velos. I'm a social impact strategist, and I help businesses and nonprofits to level up not only their financial positions, but also their ability to serve the community and others. And what have I used LinkedIn for? I have used LinkedIn mostly to gain a pretty big following through a newsletter and just to connect to people in my niche. Not everyone cares about um, social impact, but for folks who do, it's actually been really cool to see people opt into the conversation on LinkedIn and the various ways that I've done it. So whether it's a live or hopping into different groups and commenting on things, it's been really neat to see all of the impact making organizations and people on LinkedIn kind of come out and be supportive. So that's what I've been up to. Excellent. Thank you so much. And David, can you tell us about yourself and LinkedIn and how you've been using it? Yeah, sure. So I'm a, I'm a former business broker and I work now as a consultant helping people who either want to buy or, or sell a smaller, medium-sized business. And my uh, primarily my, my social media channel that I use to promote myself is actually YouTube. But the way that I use LinkedIn is I use LinkedIn as a tool to help grow that YouTube audience. But there's a lot of real conversations that happen on LinkedIn. Um, even from people who may find me over on YouTube, they'll come over and talk with me on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is the platform where people talk about business. And I've found that I've, you know, it's much easier to reach people when you try to reach them on LinkedIn. And the people who make the effort to come and contact me on LinkedIn and have conversations with me are usually much more serious about uh, doing some business. Uh, they're, they're interested in learning more because they have a need. Uh, and so the quality of the conversations tends to be a lot better than uh, any of the other social platforms I find. Thank you so much for that. And so just a quick uh, uh, word on myself. So I've been 
using LinkedIn mostly as a networking tool. In my early days, I wasn't an author. I wasn't a financial literacy advocate like I am now. And I, I used it as my Rolodex. I basically, if I met someone at a conference, if I met someone through work, it was a way to make sure I could keep in touch with them. It was an easier and I found more professional way than trying to use any of the other social media platforms for sure. And I also thought it was, it was helpful in that, you know, an email is just an email, but at least with LinkedIn, you have a profile. You can remember, okay, I met this person from, or this person's doing this and doing that. So that's why I started Started using LinkedIn. And then as I started doing more of my book promotions and meeting people, I realized it was a way to have those deeper engaged conversations. Uh, so I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed it for that. And it's a platform that I don't think it started being a platform for creators where you can have those communications and have those relations, but I think they've been trying to go down that route. And Wendy, I see, Wendy and Scott, I see you both shaking your heads very vigorously there. I think so. you made me choke actually. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me why, why did you uh, Why did you choke on that word? Because I've been on LinkedIn forever. And I think a lot of us have, if you were at ever some point in the like late 2000s, a job seeker, right? You were probably right. looking on LinkedIn for a job. I mean, I looked on LinkedIn many times for jobs. So the profile that I had was created for large employers to find me. It wasn't created for small business owners and nonprofits to find me. So right. even when LinkedIn decided to change its plan and then I decided to change my plan for LinkedIn, there was a whole bunch of things that needed to happen for that to align because I had a, a job seeker profile for a long right. time. Yeah. And unlike a Facebook and things like that, where like, maybe I'm not going to go back 10 years and bother to change things on LinkedIn. I'm going to go back 10 years and bother to mm. change things. So it is just kind of a funny when you said that I just laughed because it reminded me of that moment when I went, Oh, my profile is not aligning with this idea of creating content on a platform. So I think I, I see everyone's head nodding and I could definitely relate to this, but I kind of want to go around to each of you and say, how did you have to, if you started with a profile that was more focused on, uh, let's say job seeking, and then you had to change it to, let's say lead creation or just, you know, trying to get clients or whatever you were doing to build your business or your brand, what did you have to do specifically to change your profile? I'll start with you, Scott. Well, I, I think the biggest thing that I had to do is, is, is rethink my plan of action, kind of like what Wendy said, you have to think differently because each platform is a little bit different. And while I've used it primarily in the past, just the connection side of connecting with asset managers and professionals, I realized that, hey, and I think LinkedIn was partly a fault, was very late to the game in helping people uh, get on board and help them promote themselves a little bit more through content creation. I mean, I don't know how many... With a LinkedIn Live and how slow they rolled that out with video compared to everybody else and and some of the other features that they've rolled out, it's it's been kind of disappointing because it's like, okay, I, I don't want to do all this extra work just for one platform. I'm a big believer that if I can create something and reshare it across different platforms, it makes it a whole lot easier. But having to come up with a plan of actions that's totally different for this one platform versus the rest is, is the biggest struggle. But now it's it's merge more where I can kind of just, okay, record one thing and reshare it there or, or leverage the live. And, and and the newsletter too is one of the, the greater things that, you know, you talked about, uh, Wendy, that you're using. I, I think it's one of the greater things to connect with people uh, a little bit more intimately than just uh, posts you know, online. What about you, David? Did you have to do any big tweaks to your uh, profile over the last couple of years? Yeah, you know, I, I think I was... Um, you know, Wendy mentioned the late 2000s. I, I think I was on in the early 2000s. In fact, I can I can remember logging onto LinkedIn when I used to go to an office 
uh, a certain office that I used to work in. I can remember uh, being on on the website in that office. And so, yeah, it was totally a website where it was basically a resume. You know, yeah, the, the right. basic LinkedIn profile is set up like someone's resume might be, you know, with their work history and everything. And that's what my you know, LinkedIn profile looked like. I remember as I evolved and got into different business to business sales jobs, I, I would call people on the phone, leave voicemail messages for them. And then, you know how LinkedIn shows you who's looked at your profile? Mm-hmm. I would I would log into LinkedIn and see that the person I left a voicemail for had looked at my profile. And that that was a big eye opener for me because what it indicated to me is that people were using it to snoop and investigate right. who people were. Yeah. And so as soon as I realized that, I, I, I actually said, you know what, I need to work on this now because your your headline, for example, on your LinkedIn profile is often just your job title at your most recent job. And so in that sales role, what I did is I said, what am I, what's my number one message I'm trying to get across to people when I call them? So I reformatted my headline to just address that need. Yeah, and and magic started to happen. Um, I, I started to get people returning my phone calls more regularly. Um, I would call somebody and then instead of calling me back, they would send me a connection request on LinkedIn. Nice. Or I would learn that if someone didn't return my call, that I would send a connection request to them on LinkedIn. And sometimes I was able to open up a conversation through LinkedIn that I couldn't open up on the telephone. And so as that developed and as my network grew through that sales job, I was trying to connect with everyone I had contact with. Later, when I went out on my own, it was instrumental actually in getting uh, initial clients through the door to help me build a cash flow before the the fruit of those YouTube seeds that I planted about seven, eight years ago actually bore fruit. And so I was going on there, sending messages to people, you know, letting them know what I was doing to try to get more clients. And that led to sort of the third iteration of my LinkedIn profile, which was much more about thinking about who my ideal client avatar was from a, from a consulting client point of view and reformatting everything to speak to them. And so that headline changed again. And that sort of biography box, the main information box went from being about me to being about them and being about what issue they might have and how my services could help them. Um, And, you know, things like uh, uploading media, you know, for for many years now, I've had a LinkedIn introduction video um, and it's the only place that particular video stands. And so I can look at the uh, it's because it's uh, basically an unlisted video on YouTube that I just kind of plugged in there. I can go over on YouTube and see how many people have watched it. And nice. so it's kind of interesting. People are looking at it. They're watching that video. That's only on my LinkedIn profile. So it's, it's evolved over time. And um, uh, what was that the end of your question or was there no, that's, else that's good? No, I want to actually, I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off because that was phenomenal. And you, uh, you brought some big points up that I want to highlight just in case people might've missed it. LinkedIn is an amazing resource to get around the gatekeepers. Like it's a way mm-hmm. to go directly to your target, whoever that may be, whether you're trying to connect to a podcast host, the CEO, the sales marketing business director, it can get you right to that person. And I see in your story that you've been able to use it just for that. And you also highlighted the value of that headline and changing your uh, your, your profile to really speak to your audience. 
Um, I think Wendy, I'm I'm going to come to you now because I think I've seen your profile and I see that you've done that very well, especially since you're so focused on making an impact and helping people who are also making an impact. So if you wouldn't mind talking a bit about how you had to change your profile from those job seeker days to now as a creator, and if you can, how you've been able to manage using the headline and if you could talk a bit about your, your uh, newsletter as well. Yeah, so I need to do that last change. That was a pro tip right there, <laughs> just changing your bio to be about your buyer. I'm like, I, I've been needing to spend time doing that. But after this, I will commit to that's the next change on my profile. But I, I just really had to look at my work experience and see, you know, what is it am I doing now as an entrepreneur that wasn't even necessary as a um, a as a worker for someone else, but it's a skill that I had or I learned somewhere else. And so I went back into each individual job and looked for sort of the, where was the impetus of this skill <laughs> that I'm using now? Like, where did I first get the skill of marketing? I didn't talk about that I had done marketing in the government with my office of communications because it just was part of my job that was a completely different function, you know? So I had to go back and, and see what parts of my experience I just didn't highlight enough. And then after I did that, I really went through and looked at the layout and the headline and the header image and all of the different pieces of where people just are, are looking at the profile and what am I doing? And I also realized that my picture was just this, um, headshot that I had gotten from somebody and, you know, standing in front of a white background. It just didn't particularly stand out. It was a nice photo, great photo, but it just didn't stand out. And so I went through and I took a picture in a very bright color and had a dark background and changed all of my social media to that one picture. And I put it on LinkedIn. And then I also added that picture, a different version, but same address to the header. So it looks like it's same me, same day. It's just two different pictures. And right. I just did little things like that to make sure it was consistent that these are things that you see brand, big brands do and big branding experts tell you to do. But until you take the time to just redo your profile and look at the details of each section, LinkedIn's profile is very complex. So you have to do section by section. And that's essentially what I did is I went section by section. But let's come back to the newsletter because I think we want to, um, to welcome Flint. Yes. Flint, thanks for joining us. So we're doing our LinkedIn panel and Flint is another LinkedIn uh, high-profile high user. So we want to have him here as well. So just to get him looped in and get everyone connected with Flint. Flint, could you tell us a bit about what you do and how you've been using LinkedIn to help you and your brand? Yeah, hi guys. Uh, I raise capital for real estate, like apartment buildings and development. And uh, we give investors double digit returns so that sums it up at the very high level on linkedin uh i try to provide as much value as possible so lots of posting i have started doing outbound this year with questionable actually i shouldn't say questionable results i have generated a lot of conversation which is quite fun um, whether it's been fruitful is still up in the air Thank you for that. So we're just going into some of the ways that we've had to change our profiles from, let's say, the early days of LinkedIn to our current days of LinkedIn. Um, I just want to give a couple of tips here as well to folks who might be listening. So if you're a brand, if you're a business owner, if you're a content creator, one of the things that you need to do on LinkedIn, if you haven't already done it, is click that creator, I believe it's like creator mode, 
that changes the way you are seen by your audience. That will make sure that you get to say what part of your content they see first instead of just seeing your, your resume, as we were saying before. So that's a big piece. It's just making sure that you're now seen as a creator. It also gives people the ability to follow you. So most times when you start off on LinkedIn, you're really connecting with people. So you're saying, you know, I know you from this career or from that job, and I want to connect with you. As your profile gets bigger, people might just want to follow what you're doing and then maybe connect with you in some way or somehow. So the following is only available once you're into that creator mode as well. And then a couple other things that I just want to highlight, and I think everyone's kind of spoke to it already, but you really want to focus your profile on your end user. How are you solving their problems? How are you, um, you know, building, what, what, what is your job? What are you doing? What's your role? What are you trying to, what do you, what outcomes are you trying to help them uh, achieve? And that's the way that you should be, you know, making your profile, especially your headline, because the headline follows you. So if you make a, a comment on someone else's post or someone else's feed, that headline is shown. So they see right away, oh, this is a, an influencer, or this is an author, or this is a public speaker, or this is a whatever you might be doing. So you really want to make sure you've got that headline uh, matched to what you're doing and not just a, you know, founder of that. It's not enough content that you need a little bit more. Uh, so those are some things that you could do to, you know, really make sure your profile is is happening. So everyone here on this call, uh, on the panel, they use LinkedIn very differently. So Scott, I know you use the lives. Wendy, I know you're using uh, newsletters. David, I know you're just connecting with people. And Flynn, I know you said you started to do a lot of outbound as well. So I want to talk very specifically about some of those different things. And I want to start with Scott with the lives, because I'm curious, are you creating your content strictly on LinkedIn? Or are you creating your content outside of LinkedIn and importing it? So talk a little bit about how you've been uh, using live for uh, for your band. Yeah, great question. So we, you know, we're celebrating our 800th podcast recording here in the next week for the Note Closure Show. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, number one podcast. We have the number one YouTube channel for note investors out there. And so what we do, kind of what Clint was talking about, we do raise a lot of capital, but we also raise a lot of awareness with these bank asset managers and a lot of direct outbound reach outs like David was talking about. I love that video uh, attachment, you know, that you, David talked about because you only have 300 characters to make a first impression for most people. But if you add a video link, you've got minutes then which has been a secret thing, but it's it's a, a replication of it, making sure that our videos get in front of the right people. We, If you go back and I compare the views on our videos on LinkedIn Live, it has a much higher saturation rate versus a Facebook Live or even our uh, a YouTube Live where we've got over 7,000 subscribers to our YouTube channel. We still get a bigger hit off of LinkedIn Live because it's we've tailored that LinkedIn audience to really be the ideal clients we're looking for bankers investors and other real estate investors it was actually funny i have to tell you this i was on a call with a bank asset manager a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about a uh, apartment complex they had for sale on a note deal and we get to talk in and he calls well i think we're connected on linkedin and i'm like i think so you know and sure enough we've been connected i look back we've actually been connected for about three years oh yeah you're that note guy. There it is. <laughs> he goes, I love your videos, your short ones and your long videos on there. You actually taught me something about note investing that I didn't know as the president of the bank for like 20 years. I found that kind of uh, hilarious. I had a call to, uh, just a few minutes ago before I got started here with a guy who's listened to my podcast and came across on it eight months ago on a LinkedIn post in a LinkedIn group um, that we share it to. 
And, you know, he's like, oh, I, I love, I've been following you. I want to get into this more so. And so he's, you know, he's looking to invest, um, you know, about a hundred grand with us in some note deals. So it's, it's just a great way. I think the biggest thing that most people uh, fail to realize is I, I quote this quite often. I should probably have a tattoo on my ass. This is 80% of sales are made after the fifth contact. And I think LinkedIn is more effective in that touch basis, that contact basis than anything else is. Uh, whether it's outbound phone calls or email, you know, the whole following up on LinkedIn and connecting there is something we've been doing for a while, but that's, it just gives you the opportunity to touch base and people to see what you're doing. So you expedite that, uh, that conversion, I guess you could say if that makes well, sense. Well, yeah, I would say, especially for, from all of you, but uh, anyone who's creating content on LinkedIn, you're building that trust like uh, factor very quickly and the, the expertise, right? It's like, people are like, Oh wait, this person is, it's rare that you'll see someone who's posting something who doesn't feel like they at least know what they're doing. Now, whether you convince the other person that you do know what you're doing or not, that's really up to your content to do that. But people say, oh, if this person's willing to put themselves out there, they probably know what they're talking about. So having that LinkedIn Live, I can see how it's how it's worked out well for you. Uh, Flint, you, know, you missed a couple of minutes, so I'm going to get you in here. Can you tell us a little bit about specifically what factor, what uh, component, what tools you're using on LinkedIn the most that you've seen really drive your business? Yeah. You, so it's interesting. We all talk about there's an algorithm and, and you got to understand the algorithm so you know how to play the game right. Uh, others say if your content is good enough, you can ignore the algorithm, which I think is in large part true. But I'm not a natural content builder and my content doesn't go viral all the time, like, say, Cody Sanchez. Um, so I do have to play by the rules. And what I have noticed, I'm giving you guys a background story because I think everybody kind of goes through this, this level of learning. Last year, when I was just purely doing posts and creating value to others, I was getting a lot more inbound. People are just the organic inbound. And that organic inbound is some of the most powerful you can create because they're already pseudo warmed up and they're willing to talk to you. Outbound is much harder because you're reaching out to someone cold and you got to work these sales messages that are really hard to not be spammy. LinkedIn is super, super, super spammy. Everyone's getting hit with spam. So you, you got to somehow stand out. And that's where I'm trying to figure out, not only create value, but the, the algorithm changed over the years. So my, my inbound has been reduced. But how do I also create a message that stands out to others? And it is creating these, these personal relationships. So to, to crack the code a little bit of what I've learned, I'm using this software called, I believe it's Octopus. Sorry, I'm not, in, I'm obviously in my car. Uh, and two thumbs up, so it is Octopus. Um, it does this automated outreach and you give it a, you give it your message. So they are canned messages because you give it one message and then every day I have it send 35 contact requests with a message. Now it'll tell me for, I basically in large part say, hey, LinkedIn is spammy enough. I'm going to hit you. I'll be straightforward with you. If you connect with me, I'm going to hit you with a sales pitch. If not, <laughs> go ahead and delete this message and move on. You know what? I got like a 20% acceptance rate. And so what Octopus does is it sends me, hey, these people accepted. And I can, I can actually just turn around and say, send all these people my pitch. But I don't do that because that's when you just get too spammy because now you're sending this non-personalized pitch. So the 20% I get... I go and look at their profile and the avatar is like me. I come from aerospace. I designed aircraft for 20 years and now I'm doing this real estate thing. Um, 
I, my avatar is engineers in leadership in whatever position. I go and look at their profile and I find something that's similar. And most of my people that I'm targeting come from the aerospace industry. So there's, there's a common language that we speak. I send a very tailored message. Hey, I see you do this, this, and this. Common, common, common. And then I say, thank you for connecting. As promised, here's the pitch. And I leave the pitch super short and just wait for it to, to go. Interesting. So you're, uh, I, both you and Scott talk about creating content. Yours used to be a little bit more post-based, like text-based, I'm assuming. Um, yes. Right. And now you're doing a little bit more of the outbound. And I, I'll, I'm going to get into the automation for sure. You know, put a pin in that one just for a moment. But I like how you said when you're creating value and, you know, we all know this, right? Like as soon as we start talking about, you know, the audience, the audience is receptive. When we're talking about ourselves, no one cares about us except for us. So, and our moms. So we need to be very, very concerted effort to be putting out content that is focused on helping our audience get from point A to point B. And now if that's a LinkedIn live or a post, we see there's value in both. David, I don't know, like I know, Wendy, we're coming back to you to talk about newsletters in a moment, but David, I'm not sure how you're using uh, LinkedIn and what features you're using most often. Yeah. So every Wednesday morning, I put out a new video on YouTube. And when I put out that new video on YouTube, I also take that video and I make it into a LinkedIn article, which mm. uh, is attached to the LinkedIn newsletter. So it gets pushed out to a few thousand people that have subscribed to that newsletter. So there's, there's a, a push element to it. Now, when you create that new article, you also put a post out that says, I've got a new article about this. And so there's a, there's a couple of different things that I do. Number one, um, I use groups. So that particular video, I'm a member of probably a, well over 150 groups. And so what I'll do then is I'll look at my list of groups and I'll look at which groups have topicality that might interest, that might be interested in the content of that video. And so then I'll go into those groups and I'll put a post about that new article. And so but I, I don't do it to every group every week. It's just if there's a topic related there. And so what will happen is my my post will appear and some new people that are part of that group might be able to see that content. They might go subscribe to me on YouTube. They might decide to come and check out my profile, uh, any of those things. But the audience building primarily through the connections, I think is key because if you join someone as a first order connection, People that are their connections, your second order, can also sometimes see posts that you put into LinkedIn. And so growing your first order connections is, is really important. Um, I know you want to talk about the automation thing. I'd like to give a big reason why someone should not get into LinkedIn automation. Um, number one, it's against the terms of service. So they specifically say if you let any kind of automated tool into your account that they can close your account. And my LinkedIn profile is just way too valuable to me to risk it in that way. But, you know, uh, Flint, you, you said you get about 20% of people accepting. I get over 90% of my connection requests accepting. And, and here's how I do it is I actually do them one at a time myself. And so if I see someone putting a, a post in a group and, and it's relevant to me and I'll comment on that post then I'll send that person a connection request and I'll say, hey, I just read your post that you put in this group and I thought it was really great. And uh, I'm also doing stuff that, you know, in some way relates to what you're doing. And I thought it'd be great to connect with you. Like 100% of those connection requests are accepted. 
Um, or if I'm reading uh, like a magazine, like here where I live, we have a regional news magazine that comes out every month. That's all about business stuff. And they'll have articles about businesses. I'll go through that with a highlighter and I'll just highlight names. And then I'll go on to LinkedIn and I'll just send like, I'll cut, uh, honestly, I'll cut and paste a message. It just says, Hey, I was reading the latest edition of that magazine. And I read that article about you. I thought it was really cool. I wanted to connect almost hundred percent of those get accepted. And so really having a reason, like a real reason, even if it's just, we graduated from the same school, um, you're going to get a really high uh, connection acceptance rate. And, and, you know, the more of those first order connections you have, <clears throat> the more second order people there are going to be. And the more second order people there are, uh, the more inbound connection requests you're going to get. And, and I've seen that grow over time uh, as I implement these strategies. <clears throat> Excuse me. And yes, um, I do invest some time in it every week. So that, I mean, obviously that's the downside to not using automation is it, it costs me in time because I actually sounds, have to spend time doing this. It sounds like a significant amount of time too. Um, so I want to talk about the value of growing your network and how everyone's doing it. But Wendy, I need to come to you because I love your newsletter and I want you to talk about how the newsletter has become the part, the way that you, um, yeah. you use LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I'm trying, I was trying to think of the origin story for the newsletter and it actually is with the podcast. So they kind of go hand in hand. Um, I started my podcast on social audio before I went onto LinkedIn and so I already had the podcast and the branding and all of those things and just decided I was going to turn some of those conversations into repurposed um, LinkedIn content. And I started repurposing blog posts and some other things to that newsletter. And, you know, I, I use it to drive a lot of traffic back to my website, and my email list, but I haven't used it a lot for inbound marketing on the platform because a lot of the times I'm really trying to get people to things that are either off the platform or it's just repurposed there for them to consume and then Think I'm this wonderful guru expert, right? So, <laughs> so that's really what the newsletter has been for. And so at some point I realized when it started growing bigger and bigger, I was like, I'm losing a lot of money here. Now I still have not fully monetized this newsletter, but it got to 10K on me all of a sudden. And I was just like, okay, well now what am I doing with this newsletter? So instead of doing anything with it, y'all, I just have stopped doing the newsletter. But <laughs> it's partially because I'm redoing a bunch of my marketing things and it's going to be a, a bigger part of my marketing. But um, that being said, I learned a few things along the way. I think everything um, that you said, David, is completely valid. You know, the newsletters are pushed out via email. Um, what I've realized is that LinkedIn sometimes chooses not to push out your newsletters. And so there's been a couple mm. where I have 10,000 subscribers. One edition will get 4,000 open. The next edition gets 27 open. Interesting. When really? I ask the platform wow. what happens to this one, because this is not normal, the only thing that had happened in between then is the people who subscribed to the newsletter, I had gone through and engaged on a lot of their posts, started looking at their things, followed a few people, connected with a few people. I did not do it in a spammy way, completely manual, because you can only do it manually with a newsletter. And um, that made the algorithm tank my entire newsletter outreach and my profile for a little while. So my posts were not going anywhere. I was getting like 200 views on my posts. So what I realized and when I reached out to LinkedIn was that they do not want you to in any way try to take those subscribers from that newsletter. They don't, that it's, there's no good way to do it, to do it in an automated way. And there's no good way to do it in a manual way. So I don't recommend that anybody do it. <laughs> That's the point. I recommend that folks 
use the newsletter to drive people to you. But the mm-hmm. second that you start trying to drive yourself to those newsletter folks, the, the platform just sort of squashes you down. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, it, it is really interesting. And it's it's like forewarning. I've tried it multiple times and don't do it. Um, and the other thing I do on news that we haven't talked about, but it's still part of creator mode is the social audio component. Because when I created the newsletter, like I said, it's all part of this collective, the social impact level of collective that I created. And I wanted people from the collective to not just consume from me, but be able to connect to each other because as social entrepreneurs, it's just as important for folks to support each other and get that collective impact piece. So I created these spaces once a month for folks to just come and network. And I just call it social impact networking. I'll have a general topic that I'm going to talk about just to keep it lively. I'll host the space and facilitate and have people come up and join. Now, the one thing I, I, if I could do it all over again um, with having known one of my friends who's known as America's Supermom, you might know her on, on LinkedIn. She's amazing. Um, she taught me a couple of things about this. One, I probably should have done the newsletter via my business page, not my mm. personal profile, because that would have really grown my business branding on the platform versus my Wendy Villos branding on the platform. So that was one thing I would have done over. The second thing is in the social audio space, when you do a social audio room as a person, only one person can be in charge and can help the space. If you do it as a page, multiple people can facilitate. Uh And so you have to have a hundred people on your business page to get creator mode on your business page. Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't grow the newsletter or anything on that business page. So I've got like 30 people, you know, (laughs) it's like, how do you even do any of these things over there? Right. So you still like kind of in that early mode, if you have both a business page and a personal page, you should decide what you're really trying to invest in growing. Because if I had to do it over again, I would have invested in growing the network of my business and not the network of myself. So that's, that's it. a huge tip. And I found that challenging as well in that do I, cause again, I started on LinkedIn as a, a you know, as an employee and then I've kind of changed into the creator entrepreneur space. And I've had a, a challenge saying like, do I build, and I have a couple of different, you know, businesses. It's like, do I build my network around my name and just keep it all under my personal profile or do I start building these business pages? And I've done something similar in that I've said, well, it's always going to be me. The businesses may come, they may be sold. There's all these other options. So I've always said, I want my network to stand under me, but you bring up some good points about where these different assets should live. And I've heard other people say something similar, like sometimes it really makes sense to build up that business page. and Sometimes it makes sense to build up your personal page, but I think the the takeaway is be very uh, intentional about which one you decide to build. And for those who may not be aware, you can have a personal page, and you could also have like you could your business could also have its own little uh, asset within LinkedIn, a, a business page, and that page could build newsletters and it could put out articles, uh, and it's all under that brand. So, but you get to own it and you get to run it as a business page. So. Just be intentional about where you put your assets, where you, uh, how you build your brand. So there's a couple of things that's come up in the last couple of minutes. There's well, one well, is on Clifton. Oh, go ahead, David. Clifton. Before you move on, yeah, I just like to say this for everyone that's listening that may be new to LinkedIn. The last thing anyone should do is create a personal profile and give it their business name and put their business's yes. logo as the picture. Yes, because that is this is the biggest noob mistake that anyone could make, and most longtime LinkedIn people will never accept a connection request from someone who's dressed up a personal profile to look like a business. That's 100% yeah, I, right. I, th- I think we need to say that for people who may not be on the platform, because I get it all the time where I get a connection request from someone who's got like a a, a logo of their company as their picture and, and, and yeah. they're just not getting LinkedIn at all. 
Well, so the two things I was going to bring up, I'll bring up in a moment, but I'm going to double down on that statement and say LinkedIn, and we kind of brought it up at the beginning, but LinkedIn's benefit is that it's a way to go one-on-one with somebody else, right? So as soon as you change that relationship from me and this person to this person in my business, the relationship's different. And if it's just the connection, it may not happen, which is again, going back to what we were just saying with Wendy, it's like, be very intentional on where you set these things up. But thank you for that, David, because you're right. I would never accept uh, a, a connection request from what looks like a business trying to reach out to me. I just don't. Um, but I want to get into a few things. One, automation. Two, the value of building your uh, building your your connections and building your network. Um, and there's a few other things, and we'll see if we have time for it. But uh, David, I've got your take on automation. Flint, I think I got your take on automation. Wendy, Scott, where do you both stand on the automation piece? Scott, Wendy, I'll start with ladies you. first, go right oh, ahead. Wendy. Lovely. I'm, like, I'm, ahead, Wendy. First. I'm the one who doesn't even know how to do it, right? Like, I, I, <laughs> I'm like, what are y'all automating on LinkedIn? Let me know. What are... <laughs> I, although I will say, going back to the outbound thing, it, I get those automated messages a lot. I hate them. I detest them. I like the humor ones. I appreciate that. Um, I also get the coach for coaches all the time. So there's just some of these pieces that I don't like about LinkedIn, which makes me not want to participate. So even if automation wasn't against terms of services could save my life, I don't know. I still feel ick about it. And I think that that may just be a personal thing, but I suspect I'm not the only one. Nobody likes to be pitch slapped, which is what happens with a lot of automation is the pitch slapping. And Flint, yeah, thumbs up on that. So I I think my automation, I use the same tool that Flint was talking about, Octopus Yarn, but I do it a little bit differently. We use, we do pull lists of uh, profiles, but I'm being very specific, like real estate investors, Georgia, or real estate or note investors, Texas. Um, or I'll pull a list of like people that have used their IRA to buy a deal that I can pull them off the county records. And then I'll have my VA go out and find those people's profiles. And then we'll put it in list and then upload that list. And then I send the, the message out and I can merge it. So it sounds much more personal. It's not a pitch. You're like, hey, I see that you're an investor in, in Georgia. Are you looking for more deals for your IRA? I'd love to talk about. Here's a video on a, a case study we just did there. Something similar. It's not pitchy. I've used it for booking podcasts. Uh, appointments for myself say, hey, I see that you have a real estate podcast. I would love to talk with you. I've got a great audience. I think I might be able to help your show this way. Check out the video with my two-minute pitch, Scott, as a a guest and stuff like that. So I try to take it away from that very uh, AI-driven kind of that same, oh, we all know those those pitches to make it much more personable and add a little humor, add myself to it as well. You know, I think if you can throw some you know, when you see people clicking on you, if you share some of that personal side uh, as well, I like to make sure if I'm doing this automation that I'm sharing something a little bit different. Podcast episode, even posting on the weekends is where a lot of people don't do. And I get a huge engagement on Saturday and Sunday uh, on there with, with either a photo, a short video or, or something that I'm doing fun to, to add a little bit difference in just the business side of LinkedIn. So it seems like we're about 50-50 on the automation. And again, it's you know, we should, again, David, you've already highlighted it. It is against the terms of service. I think these tools, uh, there's another one called Linked Helper and uh, Octopus is very popular. They're done in a way that it's supposed to not seem to the app that it's automated, but you do run the risk of the app saying this looks automated. And like David said, you could lose your account. And I think 
all of us see the value of our accounts. So no, this isn't to say do or don't do automation, just be aware of what you are risking if you do that way. But the point of the automation, and it sounds like Scott, you're doing it in the same way that Flint is doing it, is to build your connections. This is a way to reach out to people and say, hey, I see that you're doing something here and I may be able to help, or maybe there's some connection here, let's connect. So can we just talk about the value of building those connections and why we're trying to build our networks the way we are? Uh, let's start with Flint, because I, I want to get you involved here, Flint. Well, yeah, I want to hit back really quick on automation. Yes, sure. perfect. LinkedIn is watching, but as long as you don't abuse the amount of automation, basically LinkedIn's looking for 200, I think it's 200 actions in a day. And that, I mean, I've, I've made LinkedIn think that I was automation because I worked it super hard one day and I was like, no, I just manually did that. <laughs> so it's just number of actions. That's why I only send out 35 connection requests a day. And if I get a, a bad boy, actually I got a bad boy message this morning after two months of doing this. So for the first time, so I'll dial it back. I'll do 30 a day and I, I won't trigger those. Um, and an interaction yeah, but, is uh, commenting on someone's post, requesting a requesting a connection, any type, yep. anything that you do, anytime you hit enter, that's considered an interaction. Yeah, and also if you start opening up a whole bunch of LinkedIn windows, that's like it. a bunch of tabs, right? It that'll trigger it actually faster. And I think that's where I got in trouble this morning. I opened up a bunch of tabs. So, um, but yeah. Anyway. Oh, okay. So. So the value of building those connections, why would you want to build your network uh, automated or manually? What's the value there? Yeah. Well, I think David kind of pointed it out where um, the the bigger your network, the more reach you have. And that's not only just first connections. That's the second connections will start to see it. You get people commenting and it'll go off and it'll ping their network. So, um, and really, I mean, quality over quantity, but at some point, you can find a lot more quality if your network is bigger. If you only know 10 people, you're, you're not going to have much reach, even if they're high quality. You need more, more, more. So you, you, there's a balance there. I mean, I would love to have 100,000 followers because I could have 2,000 super quality leads, and that would be epic for me, right, and probably epic for a lot of people. So, the, yeah, it's just balancing building those quality relationships but getting as much visibility as possible. Can I just ask, because I think that kind of sums it up for most folks, like it's really about being able to reach your target demo. And typically your target demo also has people in your, their network that's also in your target demo. And as soon as you have that first degree connection, their connections and their connections connections start seeing your content. So the value of building your network is really that you get more reach and whatever you're reaching your network for, whether that be for leads or uh, for, you know, landing podcast opportunities, all of that can come from that. I'm curious, is anyone here using Sales Navigator? No, but I want to go to what something that Flint was just sure, saying go ahead, before Amy. we go to go ahead, go another ahead. tool, because I think that that's an important point that people shouldn't get wrapped up in though. I mean, yes, the numbers, you see some people on LinkedIn, their numbers are really big and they probably have a ton of connections who will never be a qualified lead because they just connected with any old folk who sent them something on you know the internet. And I think that you have to be discerning about if you only have so many invites to give to the party, 
who are you really going to invite to sit around the dinner table? And even then, if you only have so much food to feed those mouths because your kitchen is only yay big, are those qualified leads really going to go anywhere in your funnel anyway? So from a business strategy perspective, it's really, to me, much more a tool for intentionality of how am I connecting with the appropriate leads to get them into the appropriate stages or just building awareness? Because if I'm simply building awareness and getting people into my pipeline, then that's one set of actions. But if I'm really working a qualified pipeline and making sure that I'm moving them from one part of the funnel to another, then I'm not going to want 200,000 people in there. I'll be really honest because my back end is there. You can see it. I'm a solopreneur. <laughs> so <laughs> there's there and there's no automation back there behind the door either. So, you know, what you see is what you get. I can only process so much work. Um, so that to me means being more intentional about the connections that I have on any platform. I like how you said that. And I think that comes back to making sure that you've got some type of content strategy, right? Like it's, uh, I think it was Flint, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you do the McDonald's versus Burger King post, Paul? <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that's, my, that's my only post that went viral and it was worthless. So I got, <laughs> yeah, I literally put out a poll, McDonald's versus Burger King. That was in my early days. I was just saying, just to see what, what works. LinkedIn took it viral, went around the world. I got it, probably 200,000 views and uh you know hundreds and hundreds of comments but out of that it was it was like india picked up on it and i think that's when it went viral i was like that that doesn't help me at all <laughs> so back to the intentionality you got to focus on quality so yeah all right david do you have anything to add here because again you're the one who kind of brought up the point of like re reaching those second and third connections so i'd love to hear oh your i'm curious to know what everyone else thinks about these paid accounts because every time i go and look at it and consider whether it's worthwhile for my uses to have those paid upgraded accounts i i honestly don't see what the benefit is so do any of you guys have an upgraded account so I've used it when I'm definitely on the, the note investing side, getting up the, the higher food chain to a bank president, bank CEO. Um, sure. We can't get a first level degree connection. So that's come in handy and we don't run it year long. We may run it for a month and then drop it off, run it for another month, drop, drop it off to, to do that. But that's really what's been the biggest advantages of that. You know, that now another thing is just to go find where that individual that any groups they're in and then you can connect with those individuals a lot easier but a lot of those higher ups aren't spending a lot of time in groups aren't spending a lot of time digesting a lot of content on there i mean they're on there because it's the platform but it's the it's it's when we need to take it to an upper level uh connection and we're not getting anywhere with with our current in, you know current asset manager that we're, we're talking with or, or can't get an inroads into this me at that bank or that that uh, hedge fund that we're trying to buy from so just for those who might not uh, be aware, so when we're talking paid accounts, there's a there's add-on tools that you can add to LinkedIn. Uh, I would say for this audience, the most popular would be Sales Navigator. Sales Navigator allows you to do more filtered searches uh, and reach a different, like just be able to use. So back step a bit, LinkedIn has a wealth of data, just like all of these social media platforms on all of us. Uh, it could, you know, drill down to finding a bank manager in this city uh, during these dates. Like it could go very granular. 
Uh, buying access to these tools like Sales Navigator gives you access to that data. So then you can start drilling down. So if you're trying to connect with certain people in certain roles, this gives you a way to find them uh, and aggregate them a little bit quicker than if you were to just try to use the groups uh, and the other tools that are available in LinkedIn proper. So it sounds like, Scott, you do use it a bit. I've used it. I, I also, like I said, it gives you that chance to get a little bit more granular, a little faster. And I'm just a data guy, so I was curious. Um, I don't know if it was worth it for me. And I think, Scott, you have the best approach where it's like, do it for a month and then cancel it. And if you need to do it again, um, as opposed to like buying like a year membership or what have you. So I think that's a good approach. Uh, Scott, or sorry, Flint, I think I saw you shaking your head. Are you, are you using Sales Navigator or any other yeah. tools? Scott and I are of the same opinion. So actually for anyone new, if you follow Mandy McEwen, she's a LinkedIn uh, marketing specialist. She's also very good. Follow her. She gives you lots of good tips, but she has an affiliate link. You can get, I think it was three months free of sales navigator. If you find her Huge. affiliate link. Huge. So I did that and then I shut it off, yeah. but at least I had three months to practice and see what it can do for me. And then I just recently in August, because I'm using Octopus, I turned it on for one month, downloaded a whole bunch of lists. And the biggest thing about Sales Navigator is you can you can refine it down to users, um, how frequently people use LinkedIn. So yeah, you can, there's people that'll dial in once a month or once every six months, and they're probably not the person you're targeting because they're never going to be on it. So you get the list, you can dial it in to that. And I think that that was probably the most value is you find the people mm -hmm. that are active. Yeah, so I, I think know it's one of the big things about automation too. I just want to, because we all, yeah, I think right. you're, you're capped at a 2,500 invites at any given time. And, you know, we've sent invites out and people are sitting around. And, and that's actually one thing I really like about the automation tool too, is I can actually mass cancel invites. Mm, uh, nice. Yes. You know, all of them at once or half of them at once, or it shows you how many are outstanding. So that's, if somebody's if I list get beyond a month and they're not looking at they haven't connected with me yet, I, I go ahead and remove them so I'm not holding any of those invites up for more valuable people. So I just I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. So just again for clarification, so you're only allowed so many invites into your network. And if those invites are outstanding, it doesn't reset your number of invites until I think the following week. So if you cancel invites, then you get to restart using those invites again. So just be aware if you're doing a lot of invites, just managing. And again, be careful with the number of interactions. If you're a high user, you could be seen as uh, as a bot. So just be aware of that. <laughs> so we started talking now, about the good... to go oh, over right. the, the pro account also, because that yep. is the other type of paid account that people readily see on the platform advertised you know, as soon as you get on. And there are month trials for that. But I think the only, when I did the month trial, the only advantage versus like say the sales navigator was that you could do more manual searches. So you're not aggregating like a bunch of data. If I'm just looking for podcast guests and I can only on without the pro account search so much a day or so much a week, then they unlock more options for you to get more searches in. But again, it's it's all like, what are you using the platform for? What is your purpose? Whatever, right. whatever one you want to pay for, really just if you're going to pay, it has to serve your purpose. Thank you for that, Wendy. I, I've not used the pro account, so I don't have much to speak on it. So I'm glad that you brought it up because you're right. That is the one that most people will see. So we did talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly at the beginning, but I want to hear what are some frustrations that the the four of you are having with LinkedIn and its current platform? I'm not saying I can get this to the LinkedIn engineers, but if I can, I will. Uh, and what are some frustrations? Uh, Scott, I see you laughing there. So let me let me hear from you. 
Well, I think it's exactly what Wendy mentioned with her newsletter. You know, they don't, I, I find that frustrating that they wouldn't want you to connect at least those that are subscribed to your newsletter. I mean, hello, they're already listening to you and they're already getting an email from you, you know, uh, to do that. I do like the fact that it does push an email into their inbox, which is really nice. I've started inserting some links into my newsletter to get them to subscribe outside of LinkedIn to uh, to manually grab that stuff. Um, you know, same thing, putting it, a subscribe link to our YouTube channel to drive our YouTube subscribers as well. It's very easy to add just a sub confirmation link to your the YouTube channel stuff like that. It's just that I think they're slow. The they've been slow to the page, and it's always aggravating. Nothing was more obvious than when COVID kicked in, and they just drag out LinkedIn Live. And mm -hmm. I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to how they roll a lot of their features out to. But it's um, you know they. One of the things that a few years back was uh, I call it the uh, the Thanksgiving Day massacre where they made you they completely changed where if you downloaded your list of contacts, you could have your first name, last name, email address. And they changed that Thanksgiving three years ago where nobody saw it. Now you got to have the creator mode on if you're going to do a contact download that to have any type of email uh, a campaign or stuff like that. So I'm not saying use it to build a newsletter list and spam them. I'm just simply saying it was one of the things that they, it just it's it's always tricky. You know, who knows? You know, I posted a, a post similar to uh, Flint's Who Likes Brussels Sprouts? Who Loves or Hates Brussels Sprouts? And it did pretty well. Didn't, you know, 200,000 viral like Burger King and McDonald's did. But that's that's the biggest thing is um, is is the spam aspect of it. I think I mm -hmm. wish people would would invest a little bit more in that initial reach out. Hey, we're, you know, we're kicked in here. I'd love to talk or let's schedule a call versus that straight up connection let's go straight to trying to slam a sale down here so that's the that's the most frustrating thing what about you david i i think the um i i sometimes do events and they introduced an event feature a few years ago which i think is great because you can integrate it with eventbrite if you're going to do an actual live event and people need tickets and whatnot but my my one wish if if, if santa claus were here would be if we could somehow do some kind of notification to all the people in a certain city just to say this event is mm -hmm. in your city right like like here's a heads up but of course um i i understand how that might be abused if you know people could do some kind of mass messaging but i think if you could you know do a post or an article that just got pushed through to people that met a filtered criteria like everyone in a certain city or state i think that would be golden because it would really help people that have a lot of followers and connections if they were going to do like a live thing, if they were going to be in a certain city and they wanted to let their connections in that geography know uh, that because they might want to come out. Nice. Flint? Yeah, there's two things. One, the repost function. For some reason, LinkedIn does not like their own function. They have it there if someone wants to repost your content because they love it and they want to share it with their network. LinkedIn doesn't push it. When someone reposts, it never goes anywhere. So if you want to share someone's content, don't do repost, copy the link to their post, do a clean, fresh post, put your comment, hey, this person did cool things, and then you leave a link within your post. That is the only way, because for some reason, okay. LinkedIn created okay. something that they don't like. Um, the, the second thing is external links. If you want to do external links um, to like an article that has great information, if you put that link in there and it automatically populates and gives you a cool picture of the article, LinkedIn really, really scales back on how far that 
that goes. And everyone now takes the link and says, hey, look for the link in the comments. So we've all basically hacked it. And I think LinkedIn should just grow up and allow us to put a link in the post so that it's nice and clean. Yes, they're going to lose people to another site, but we all hacked it. Yeah. So I've talked to uh, uh, a content creator person at LinkedIn and her thought, her comment was that they don't. And, you know, I, I know Flint, you've experienced it. So I, I'm not, I'm not discounting what you're saying. Sta her statement was we don't dissuade people from putting links in their content and we don't, you know, negatively uh, affect those posts. So the algorithm's not supposed to, uh, but it's really the ratio of blue text to black text. And so blue text is any link basically outside or any hashtag or what have you. So they said, if the ratio is a certain way and it's probably mostly black text to blue text, uh, it shouldn't affect it because like you said, I know a lot of people have been putting the links in the comments and she said, it won't make a difference if you put it there or not. Now I can't say it doesn't. I'm not there and I don't work for LinkedIn. I've got no affiliation with LinkedIn, so I don't know how true that is, but that's what I heard from uh, from someone at LinkedIn. So just maybe they figured that one out. I don't know. I can't say. Okay. Wendy. Yeah. So side, yeah, side note to there, the algorithm's always changing and we can never, sure. we, we just struggle to keep up. So maybe that's new. That's true. Wendy, what are uh, any LinkedIn pet peeves of yours? That's funny. Oh, well, now I'm on the, the, the comment can't even be the first comment. It has to be the second comment. So oh, you got to right. get a buddy to comment first. So then you can reply to the comment with your actual link. <laughs> so I, I don't know that I'm doing the right thing anyway, but it's okay. Uh, what are my things that I would change? One, the inbox. I mean, that, that thing is changing. So and so I shouldn't messy. have to pay you for you to just allow me to sort things. Like just, just give me a, a folder or option or some sort of organized way of being like friend messages, business leads, yep. stuff I don't need. <laughs> like yep. I don't even, I, I just need really maybe messy. three categories. Something in the inbox just like drives me crazy. And, I, and then I feel like if you want that to be a bonus feature, that can't be the only thing I get is like an organized inbox. I'm going to need a lot more than that. Um, then I also think... Um, with the generic posts and, and how they kind of get pushed out, it's really wonky. Like some things go really far, some things don't. I can't ever figure that out. And so, you know, sometimes polls work really well, sometimes they don't. I think it's just to me about being authentically what you like to create and being mm -hmm. you. And whatever's going to happen on LinkedIn is good. It's almost like it's just going to happen to you. <laughs> I know there are people who are like, you can hack it and you can do this and you can be really intentional. But the one thing that I have seen really work is the engagement thing. Like when you are put in your face and somebody else's comments and commenting and then liking and then commenting and liking and, and doing that over and over again, it does get seen. And so there has to be some sort of way to reconcile that whole thing because it's it's a it's a really time consuming to do that and they know they want you to build community and that's the purpose of it and blah 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 but it also to me just seems like um but then I'm I'm doing that but I'm, I'm am I really doing it because I want to make those genuine connections or am I doing it because I want you to see my, my face right. in somebody else's comment you know right. so it doesn't even get from the authenticity of connection on the platform it's just people now are doing it as a practice to be seen so mm. I, and I and I don't again I don't like that I think that doesn't necessarily help the platform what it's trying to do to build community so um, I do like thoughts. I do like what you just said and I've noticed this too and I've seen enough creators now where it's the reason I like LinkedIn I'm, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a roundtable in a moment to close out and just give like your pro tip on why you like LinkedIn and something that you'd want a new person to LinkedIn uh, what you'd want them to to take away but I'm just gonna start with this. 
the reason I've liked LinkedIn and why I kind of gravitate to it, uh, one, it, you have a text-based option. As a writer, I really appreciate that. I know I could do more video. I know I could do more images, but I'm like, I like text. I like writing. I like writing long form. And I don't feel like, at least not yet, I've been punished on LinkedIn for writing that type of content. Uh, and I like the fact that I could do that. It's simple for me and it's received. I can't do that on Instagram. Like, no, like I don't care how much I write on Instagram. People are looking at that picture and they're swiping. They don't care. So on LinkedIn, I know I've seen it. People read the posts that I write and they'll comment on the posts that I write. And then we could start a relationship and we could build that relationship, which is why I like LinkedIn. So if I was going to give uh, my pro tip, it's exactly what you were just saying, Wendy. Find the content that you like to build on the platform if you want to use the platform and stick with it like i know they'll say try this try that do polls do this find something that you like stick with it because i think with linkedin like all other platforms it's the consistency as we can see from all of you here the reason you've been doing so well on linkedin is because you've been so consistent with it um and i think if you could find a format that works for you and you can do it consistently, it will pay off on LinkedIn. So I'm just going to do a roundtable to close out on like a pro tip on what you'd want someone new to LinkedIn uh, to do. And I'll start with David. Yeah, the reason I like LinkedIn is because it's uh, a business platform for business people who are thinking business stuff and are talking the talk of business. And so if you, you know, if you serve other business people or investors or any other kind of uh, sort of professional or or sophisticated person. That's the platform you need to be on. And, um, you know, it's not a place for silly cat videos and all that other kind of stuff that clogs up a lot of other social media platforms. And quite honestly, like I, I will get solicited on my personal Facebook page by people who are trying to do business. And I even reply to those, some of those people and I say, why are you sending me this message on Facebook? If you're trying to do business with me, you should be connecting with me on LinkedIn. Um, because in, in my opinion, Facebook is where I put my family pictures and vacation stuff. And it's, that's, to that's not the place for business and LinkedIn specifically is. And, and my big tip would just be to keep it business oriented. Don't go on there and try to do any of the engagement, um, strategies that you see on these other platforms and think that it's going to help you, uh, uh, in that crowd on LinkedIn. I love that. I love that. Um, uh, Scott. There's 950 million users on LinkedIn and about six, uh, I was just reading a stat here because I wanted to make sure and write 16.2% of the users log in daily to LinkedIn while a huge amount are just monthly users. So uh, be consistent, post on a regular basis, keep it professional. We don't need to see the the old glamour shot videos or the, your banana hammock or bikini photos on stuff on there. You know, you might get some engagement, but I don't be the right engagement for you, but just you know, I really think there's no better platform to reach your right type of clients, your right type of folks to look for. And so if you're any professional setting, learn how to use it. I, I, I'm always amazed when I talk to content creators, you know, podcasters like, oh, I don't want to be on LinkedIn. I'm like, you are literally hamstringing your success and your growth potential and just delaying success immensely. So get out there, see what people are doing, mix it up for what works better for your audience. Because, you know, decision makers, folks with Investment capital, the high ends, they're on LinkedIn and Twitter, and they're more on LinkedIn now than, than ever before on a regular basis. So I agree. Wendy, pro tips? 
going to be totally counter and say, put your bikini photo up if you want to. <laughs> I'm going to just, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious because you don't know whose niche you're talking about, right? If your niche includes <laughs> bikinis, baby, you put that bikini on, you yes. rock it all over LinkedIn. Well so you well sell it. don't want to see me in mine though. Come on now. I, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it, it like I put wellness posts up because I do wellness things. So me walking in the forest is related to the content that I need to be creating. So you're going to see it on LinkedIn, but it, you have to know your audience. And I think that that's important to really think about that your connections are not just your connections they are also your audience right mm -hmm. so know know how you're connecting with them what your intent is again um I think the big pro tip though with the weekly um, newsletter that was what got to 10k just every week pumping out a newsletter and people enjoy the consistency so if you can be consistent and you can commit to whatever it is you're creating on the platform then deliver it up because people will look at it and you said pumping it out, but I want to make sure people recognize like that is a quality piece of content that's very intentional. It's not just about making sure you, you know, you hit publish. It's not right a just AI blog post that you just no, got off chat GPT. Exactly, no, exactly. it's a quality yeah. post on a regular basis. Right. And Flint, any pro tips that you want to uh, share with the audience? Yeah. So we did talk about business pages. Now I view my business page as something that I kind of forget it gathers dust. It's there. But really at the heart of things, even if it's a B2B business, everyone, it's it's person to person. So when you post, yes, add value, talk about business, but in there, people also want to connect with a human. So you got to put human stuff in there. I often post something about me and my family and you can correlate it to business. Like I just did a post this week where my son thought it would be great if the Boy Scouts sold tacos rather than popcorn. <laughs> And it's an entrepreneurial post with a picture of my kid. I mean, those things are things that people want to eat up. And then it shows a little bit more. I'm human. I have a family. I'm just like you. And that's what intended people want. Or no? What's that? I said pun intended. People want to eat it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Well, thank you all for all of that. I, um, I'm just going to finish off with the, again, you're pointing out that you need to use LinkedIn for making those connections. Like that is the beauty and both the joy and the frustration of LinkedIn is that we're using it to connect with people uh, on an intimate level that you just, you don't, I haven't seen in any of the other platforms. Um, and I wanna just thank all four of you for being so open and honest and sharing your experience with uh, with our guests. And I wanna thank you, especially Scott for organizing this and getting this uh, this, uh, this this Zoom going. And again, just thank you all for, for contributing. And this was great. Thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. My pleasure. Until next time.